Hi, welcome back to Hot Take Time with John and Pete. Talking about watches and our attitudes toward them and our hopefully slightly spicy opinions about them. Today we're going to talk about grails, end pieces, exit pieces, those really high-end watches. And what are they? How interested do we really get when those watches start being outside our affordability zone? What's a grail? What's not? That mm. sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, before we get into it, let's start with a wristwatch wrist watch check. Too many W's there. Yeah. John, you have something really exciting on today. New watch alert. Well, I don't know if it's exciting, but um, I thought after the last few episodes where I've or we've made some comments about uh, the, the brand that a lot of us love to hate, Hublot, um, and how that you know the value proposition might not be there. I thought. I'll take the plunge and see for myself. I mean, I have owned a, a you know a Hublot's before, but I've never owned the basic f- classic Fusion line. So for those of you that don't know, that was a line that was relaunched by Hublot in 2008. Um, and it's meant to be representative of their original line uh, from back in the 80s, um, which, uh, fun fact, they were the first ones to ever pair a rubber strap with a precious metal watch. Mm. Right, so uh, interesting. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they did it. Um, so I actually went and got myself a Hublot Classic Fusion Titanium 42 mil blue dial for my friends at Monards. Um, and now I, I just want to say that my critique around the movement still stands. I think that they have definitely cheaped out with their Salida-based movement. I also think that even though they say they finished the movement in-house, I've seen off-the-shelf Salidas that are finished better, just, you know, like the top-grade Salidas or whatever they're called. But the casework and the case finishing, the dial, the strap, the deployant, I think are fit for the money. Yeah, you know, well, For a circuit $10,000, $11,000 watch, I mean, you look at the competitors, um, you know, maybe Amiga, for example, Breitling, I think the casework on the on the uh, Hublot is just as good as any of them. And mind you, Breitling have some pretty expensive watches that are ETA based. Absolutely. Oh, look, we were chronos though. Mostly. Yeah. So we we're playing with. I was playing with that watch beforehand, and I was taken aback at the quality of the casework, the quality of the dial, etc. Um, yeah. It is really outstanding. Um, I was searching around trying to find a loop to get a little bit closer, but I couldn't find well, one. Well, look, I, I think there's a video on YouTube I was looking at um, from, from uh, I think, Hafiz, where he had a different model. He had a, a rose gold model, um, but the same thing. And under macro, apparently, didn't stand up, right? Like the, the hands weren't, you know, super well polished and the dial, his one had a scratch. And I'm not sure if his is representative of, you know, the broader Hublot uh, quality control. I don't have a I don't have a macro strong enough to get to the point where he had it, so it's very much it could be the case on this. But with with normal eyesight and even with glasses on and even with a um, a, a low power loop, I can't fault it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, certainly, certainly, my quick and dirty look at it before we started, it is lovely. Yeah. Um, you're right. Everything we say about the movement stands. It's probably still costs more than it should. Yeah, but you know, once you've decided you like it, if you like, if the movement's good enough, yeah. hey, that's a great watch. Well, I guess I, I think the other thing is uh, we normally compare watches with other watches in the same price range. But my perspective with Hublot is that you actually have to look at other watches in the same aesthetic range. Yes. So if you were looking for another somewhat integrated design um, watch with you know this kind of look, then the comparison points become a lot more muddled um, in terms of, you know, who would you actually be comparing to? Because if you compare it to AP, for example, and I'm not saying that you should, but I'm just saying if you did, the cheapest AP Royal Oak is $35,000, $40,000 now. Um, yes, and, and yes, that's got an in-house move, and yes, that's finished better and all that kind of stuff. But it's also four times the price. Yeah. And so, that's actually, you know, at that point, you know, you yeah. kind of get away with it a little bit. And, and that's the thing, sort of... If you like a watch like that, with that look, with that styling, and you get down and you look at the Ublo like you did and you go, I really want that watch, 
it's it's gettable, it's attainable. Yeah. You're not going to have to do anything. No, walk in and buy it. it. You can yeah. just walk in and buy it, probably with a bit of a small discount. Yeah. Um, and generally be happy with it. So yeah. ultimately, what's wrong with that? Yeah. And that that idea of um, being able to afford something and being sort of getting some attachment really was what we were going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of you you talk about that Royal Oak, which which is possibly even a bad example. Let's go from the Watches and Wonders, you know, that we just saw. There were brands there like uh, Gronfeld and Ferdinand Batut and uh, don't even know who that is. Yeah, super pricey independents yeah. that that have watches that start in the six figures. Yeah. Um, can you do you find yourself? Can you get excited about watches like that? Uh, personally, no. But before we move on, we, we've got oh, to do okay. your wristwatch check, uh, which is a – I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing it's a Mule shooter from yes, what I can is. tell. So it's a Mule shooter. Um, this is sort of their go-everywhere, do-anything kind of line, right? Yeah, so that one's superseded. It's their old M99 City line. So they haven't had that around for a couple of years. I bought that off Chrono24 because I was just curious about German watches. Yeah. Um, only after I bought it did I realize it's got this like semi-integrated bracelet because I don't really like bracelets, but I'm kind of stuck with one on that. But it's a nice enough oh, bracelet. Yeah, okay, yeah, I can see. Yeah. It's actually quite got quite wide lugs for its case size, um, which is very typical of integrated bracelet yeah. watches. Um, and so what, what, what's the price point of, of something like this? Uh, when I bought that, it was about right, 800, 800 bucks. Okay, so um, just for comparison... Hublot, this has the same movement as your eleven thousand dollar watch. Okay, so just uh, just just saying. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that they're comparable. Once again, in terms of style or yeah. even even maybe just broad finishing, but the movement wise, yeah, same bloody thing. So when I bought this, well, actually, it gets worse. Um, so when I bought this watch, I paid about eight hundred. It's actually gone up now. If I was going to sell it, I'd probably get about twelve, thirteen. Okay. If you wanted to get one of the slightly better ones, so we are still talking an out of production watch. But if yeah. you go into Chrono Twenty Four, uh, probably seventeen, eighteen hundred bucks. Okay. But at that point, yes, you are getting a probably an SW two hundred yeah. or maybe an ETA twenty eight twenty four. Yeah. But completely disassembled, new regulation with a swan neck regulator inserted, um, and a whole bunch of other work done to the oh, watch. Hublot, close your ears. As far as I could tell, all you guys did was slap a loader on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the funny thing is they kind of have to do that because they have to meet their minimum amount of work done to be able to call, oh, call it a Glossuta right, and okay. use the made in Germany thing. Yeah. Interesting little byproduct I found when I was reading about this. You know, Salida has a factory in Germany now. Really? Yeah. Um, they make like base plates and three-quarter plates and so forth. Oh, and I understand okay. that one of the whole – it's pretty small. Yeah. Only has about 30 or 40 people working in it. But if you look it up on Google, you can find the Salida factory in yeah. – in Glossuta, right, it's very nice, important. It's nice. in Glossuta. Yep. And what it does do is it means that brands yeah. in yeah, Glossuta yeah, okay. can have a solid movement and still be made in Glossuta. Made, made in Germany, yeah, okay. That's, that's actually quite interesting. I mean, look, I think the other thing is Salida, I mean, we're not going to get into this, but Salida actually gets a, a bit of a bad rap for just being an ETA clone. And yes, their SW200 is 2824, the SW300 is a 2892, and their SW500 is a... Uh, is a seventy-seven fifty, etc. That's all true, but in some cases they actually do make some upgrades. So, for example, their their ETA twenty-eight ninety-two replacement actually has more jewels than yeah. the twenty-eight ninety-two and has a slightly longer power reserve, um, and has a, has a slightly better winding mechanism. So, there are some improvements, but at the end of the day, you can buy one for two hundred bucks, so or three hundred dollars or whatever it is. So, it's not an excuse for the higher end brands like Hublot to keep doing it. But technically, it's not a bad movement. No, it's one of those things. And one of the things that really irritates me, really shits me to tears, is when people talk about, you know, for example, they compare movements to engines yeah. uh, in a car. And they'll say, you know, like, if I wanted a Ferrari, I don't want one with a Datsun engine in it or, you sure. know, some you know little Chinese thing. And I think that that's just blatantly wrong in that comparison. Mm. 
you know, the if if uh, an in-house Rolex movement is what would you call it a Porsche engine, say Mercedes maybe their Mercedes engine, yeah. then if you look at the specs, you look at the stats, you look at what it's capable of doing, the an ETA or a Salida is not some cheap little Chinese four-cylinder knockoff. No, it's a pretty high-quality, you know. Alpha V6 or, you know, BMW four-cylinder or something like that. If you just look at what it can do, yeah, is it, you know, top-of-the-range Porsche? No. Yeah. Is it some, like, knockoff Chinese? No. It's a, still a good quality European I, engine. I think the issue is that it's shared, right? So, I mean, it's actually, you know what it's more like? It's more like a Volkswagen two-liter four-cylinder. Almost every Volks, Almost every Volkswagen group car under... 100 grand in one variation or the other uses that engine. Yes. Um, so to me, that is actually the Salida slash ETA version. And, you know, and and it's not really an issue. I think the, where it come, becomes an issue really is, once again, when you start comparing, um, like if you, under, if you know that Volkswagen owns all these brands, you know, like Porsche and Lambo and stuff like that, then you can say, okay, well, everything – that technically has a Volkswagen engine in it is in-house as long as part of the Volkswagen group. Yeah. Right? So by that stretch, you could say, well, anything that's made by Swatch has an in-house movement because Swatch owns ETA and and therefore it's all part of the same brand. I think where Salida kind of falls apart a little bit, I think in terms of the – is the fact that just like it's used in everything from a $200 watch up to a – in the case of Hubo, a $12,000 watch, a $15,000 watch. And that, it would be like if you bought a base model Golf and it had the same engine as a Porsche Macan, would you feel a little bit ripped off? <sighs> same group, so they could technically still say in-house, but yeah. do you expect more? Do you at least expect Porsche to... Put a nicer Porsche <laughs> engine cover on it. Yeah, and, probably. You know, like do something. Probably. Put a logo on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, it's not a perfect analogy. And I'm I'm comfortable with the idea of saying it's not the same. So I'm not gonna I can, I'm not gonna fight someone and say that using an ETA engine, ETA. Uh, movement movement is the same as an in-house movement. No, I'm I'm happy with saying that they're different. Yeah. I'm happy with saying that you know one is a higher grade or higher spec than another. Yeah. But what gets me is when people make the comparison, and then what they do is really diminish what those sweeters and ETAs yeah. are, yeah, right. and turn around and you know turn them into pieces of rubbish, which they are not. No. They are very good, very using. If if you think that. You know, like the comparison between engines is generally power. Yeah. Uh, the comparison between movements fundamentally is accuracy. Mm. Um, you can and argue finishing, I guess. and finishing, but finishing is a really dodgy area. Let's just talk about accuracy. There isn't an order of magnitude difference in no. accuracy between you know the best Rolex movement and a top grade. Solita movement. It's, I argue it, there's none. That actually comes down to the implementation. Yeah. You know, and, how and you regulate it. Yeah. So if you regulate it really well, fettle it really well, look after it really well, you will be near as damn it getting the same actual performance. Yep. And so then it just comes down to is it finished as nice? Do I get as nice feels about where it's come from? Yep. Blah, blah, blah. And look, most people would argue that, that the main thing about a watch that makes them feel good is the way it looks, not really necessarily how it runs. As long as it's not losing a whole bunch of time or gaining a whole bunch of time, you know, I think, um, you know, so that's a, so for me, that's Hubler, right? It, it's a good-looking watch and you kind of can forgive it that it may not necessarily have the horological significance in the movement side to make up for it. So that's that's probably okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's, moving on from, from Hubler and their cost-saving situation. So, um Aspirational watches. So I'm okay. So for me, I can appreciate a watch that I can't afford. But if a watch is so far outside of my affordability, and I'm the same with cars too, mind you. I don't really spend much time looking at Lamborghinis and Ferraris and 
uh, you know, liking supercars and stuff like that. Mostly because I am not confident that I will at any point in my life be able to afford one of those. Therefore, I don't want to waste time on it. So same thing with watches. There are watches that are, um, and when I say like not affordable, I, you know, I'm talking probably say something that's two hundred thousand dollars plus. Not that I can afford anything less, like you know, hundred thousand dollars either. But it's practical. At some point in my life, I might be able to get there if I sold everything and and just wanted that one watch for one hundred fifty thousand. But two hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars plus. Well, yesterday we were talking. Uh, about uh, Grupo Force and how their cheapest watch right now is like 250 grand. So guess what? I've never looked, even gone to the Grupo Force website in my life because it's not within my wheelhouse. Yeah, I, 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 I'm very similar. I was on a live stream talking about this with some other people and it was interesting. The, the group kind of split um, and I was on the same side of you of I can be kind of intellectually interested in those very high-end, very expensive watches. I will go and I will perhaps look at the website because I'm curious about what they do and, and how things work. Maybe the business side of it can be attractive, can be interesting to me. So I'm I'm fascinated by how you know, how much money Richard Neal, Richard Neal can make by selling only 5,000 watches. That's kind of interesting. But can I be interested and invested and care about the watches? Do I care what Grubel, Mr. Grubel Forzi? It's actually the two different people. One's Grubel, one's Forzi. Do I care what they're See, I, doing? I don't even know anything about that because yeah. I've never even bothered enough to, to look Yeah, at. and do I listen to them being interviewed and do I – you know what? I don't. Mm. They're, they're kind of irrelevant to me. This is this – is, I don't know whether it's the good bit or the bad bit of the the watch collecting hobby. It's what you and I have spoken about a couple of times. Ownership. This focus on yeah. ownership. Um, that if you don't really, if you don't own the watch, then you're not really being part of that community. Therefore, why bother? Yeah. And some people would say that's a terrible outcome. Wouldn't it be good if you could just be? You don't get to own really super high end paintings, um, but people can still be into high-end you look at them. Well, I mean, the thing is, you, you could get a print of a painting and hang on your wall. Like if someone got, got a high-quality print of the Mona Lisa hung on in their, wall, uh, in, in their home, no one's walking in the house going, oh, my God, you bought the Mona Lisa, right? Like, obviously, I did not yeah. buy the Mona Lisa. But, you, but plenty of people have prints of art that they have uh, bought that they frame and put up on the wall because they enjoy looking at it. Watch is a little bit different because the, the equivalent of a watch in that respect would be a fake. Yes. Right, because I mean, I guess you could get, have a picture of a watch hang on your wall, but that's not really the same because one's a watch and one's a picture. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and I think it's because you know when we think about artwork generally, like that kind of artwork, we're thinking they are by definition singular. Yeah, only one person in the world is going to own that thing. Yeah, and as a result, and and a bunch of them aren't owned by anyone. They they hang in muse publicly on museums and galleries. And you got you go to those galleries and museums and they will sell you the prints. <laughs> so so it's not even like a you know, there's no legal problem there. It's just like literally like, well, you know, you you, you come, you can only spend so many hours in this place at, at the one time. If there's something you really like, we either sell you a book with the pictures in it or we'll sell you the actual print itself or we'll even say, sell you a framed copy right or a jigsaw or a handbag with right, the anything. thing on the side whereas or... with watches i mean yeah you obviously get books about watches and pictures about watches and all that kind of stuff but none of those are really representative of the actual item whereas a, a print of a painting is so uh, for me i kind of look at it and go can i appreciate good looking watches if i'm going out to a get together and someone brings along a really fancy something or the other um I'll, i mean oh yeah i'll gladly look at it and i'll touch it but my problem as well is that Let's say hypothetically tomorrow somebody uh, lost their mind and was like, John, you know what? I, I've got all these. I've got these Grupal Forces coming out my bum. I don't want them anymore. Here, have one for free. Yep. Right? Just take one for free. I don't want anything for it. Um, I would be like, that's nice. But the thing is, like, either I would sell it, but if I was to keep it, inevitably when it requires a service, oh, yeah. can I even afford to keep it? Like, can I afford to... I mean, it's the same thing around... Um, uh, it's a bit of an interesting one, but there's this... Uh, there was this interview I saw with Mr. Beast. Uh, I don't know if, if you're familiar with Mr. Beast, but he's a he's a young, uh, big 
uh, YouTube celebrity, big YouTube star. He makes all these videos, random videos. And he does, uh, and some of them are really massive, like taken off. And he does ones where he gives away stuff to yep. viewers. But there'll be things like a private jet, right? He'll give someone like a giveaway, a private jet to somebody. And apparently he was getting a lot of, a um, lot of um, flack online because people are like, oh, so you give away someone, give someone a private jet, but then, you know, who pays for the running cost and the storage of yep. the jet and like, you know, you're, 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 you're sending people to financial ruin by giving him something, giving them something. And I mean, his argument was that obviously he, he will happily buy the jet back, you know, yep. or, or give money instead in lieu of the jet or help the person sell it. But fundamentally, that's kind of a point of it is, an expensive watch isn't just expensive to buy, it's expensive to own. An expensive car isn't just expensive to buy, it's expensive to own. Uh, most people couldn't probably even pay the insurance on a $500,000 watch. Yeah, I heard someone- Right? I heard it's someone- very expensive. Oh, yeah. It's like three or four, that would be three or 4,000 a month. It's funny, took, yeah, I'll, I'll circle back to that. On the car one, I heard a great quote once, that if you can't afford to buy a new BMW, you can't afford to run a used one. Yeah. Um, yeah, for all of the reasons you just said. I just out of interest, I was curious about getting insurance on a watch. And so I was talking to, I can't even remember who it was, but some insurer. Yeah. And um, when I was talking to the, the representative, I actually asked the question, what happens when people buy a watch and it then appreciates in value? So I use the example, someone's got a Daytona mm. um, and suddenly it's worth, you know, they paid, what are they, 20-ish? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're just a shade over 20. Yeah, million. so they've bought one for 20, but they're now being told it's worth 60 grand. Mm. She said, well, A, and this is an interesting thing, um, for the first 12 months it is only insured at RRP. Yeah. So... Um, the good news is insurance in that first year, not horrendously expensive. It's based on a $20,000 watch. Yeah. But the second year, you now go to market value. Now the value goes up to 20, goes up to say 60. That's good. But you now have to pay like insurance on a $60,000 watch, mm, mm. which suddenly is like two or three grand a year more yeah. than you're expecting to pay. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, yeah. So for me, I look at it and go, the other thing is, will you, like, for you to be comfortable wearing a $400,000 watch, not even daily, but just once a month, once a week outside of your house, I mean, you would, I mean, I would think you would need to be worth Tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Right. So I just, and like you, for a whole bunch of lifestyle reasons, just where I am in the world, maybe, you know, I got something happened. Um, I win one of those big super lotteries. I've got $700 million in the bank. Maybe this whole conversation becomes an embarrassing afterthought because, you yeah. know what, bugger it. I'm buying, I'm, I'm in Grubel Fawzi and Richard Millland. Yeah. I mean, but, yeah. At the point where money is like but candy. If, you know? But until then, I must admit, I have a zone. I know, look, anything, and we've had discussed this before, anything less than pick a number, say about a 1000 bucks. I can kind of see the gaps a bit too much. I find it hard to enjoy that. But anything above 10000 20000 I begin to become kind of stressed about how much is in it. Mm. I begin to sort of worry a bit about, you know, my ability not only to buy the watch but to keep the watch and do all that stuff that we're talking about, servicing it, yeah. insuring it and stuff. And I think that then sort of feeds back into the problem of if I look at what that watch gives me, if I look at, you know, how much, how sexy it is, how exciting it is, how well finished it is, I'm kind of, my sense of that is dulled by my worries about how much I've invested in it and yeah. how much. And so I just don't enjoy it. I think the other thing for us is, I mean, I know that you and I, uh, while our collections are quite different, we both generally buy sporty watches, yeah. like more sports watches, more casual watches. And in that, in that sense, I wear my watches I don't wear them hard, so I try not to ding them. I don't consciously try and smash them against things. But I wear my watches to the gym. Every watch I own has been to the gym. 
Um, every watch I own will go, you know, if I put a watch in the morning and that, that watch will stay with me for, I don't change watches very much during the day. Um, so the other problem is a lot of the super high-end watches tend to be fragile. Yeah. Because they have fragile uh, complications, because they're made from fragile materials. Like this morning, I saw a video of uh, a Jacob & Co. Astronomia. Now, they used to, that used to be one of my grail watches. And we'll talk about that in a second. That used to be one of my grail watches. Um, uh, and and it's, um, it's unobtainable price-wise. But, you know, it used to be one of my grail watches. And now I've realized the whole, basically the whole thing is made out of sapphire. Right? Yeah. Crystal. Right? Like, I... The other day I was wearing my sub and I hit it against a dumbbell at the gym. Now, luckily it was fine because it's metal and you know nothing really happened. But you hit that astronomia against the dumbbell <laughs> at the gym and the whole thing's gonna be in it's gonna be shattered. So now you've got a watch that that is now broken that has to go to a very specific you know, has to go back to Jacob and Co. to get fixed. I don't know what the cost would be, probably something astronomical, because they can't fix the case. That'd yeah. be a new case. So it probably ended up just being a new watch, I'd, I'd assume. And then that becomes the second problem with living in Australia is that most of the high-end brands do not have service centers here, right? Or they have a partial service center here. So if you ding your fancy Grubel Force, I have no idea where that even needs to go to get fixed. But I can be damn sure it'd be without it for at least two to three months. Oh, I was going to say, you, you could almost add a year to that. I'd, I'd be shocked if you got it turned around in a right. year. So I don't want to be in a position where I've got a watch that is super delicate, that is you know super fine, that I am worried about wearing. Because the thing is, like, if I worked in an office and I dressed up and I didn't, and I, you know, and I wore dress watches, I probably would have less of an issue with the more fragile mm. stuff, you know, like... But that's not my life. That's not my lifestyle. That's not my, um, you know, actual you know dress style. So therefore, for me, uh, it's, it's it's actually kind of a a blessing because it's actually pretty hard to find a true sports watch that is in that super hype. I mean, Richard Mille being probably one of the notable exceptions because yeah. you go to AP and Patek, and basically the only sports models that are super expensive are essentially precious metal with diamonds and jewels and rubies and stuff, which I have no interest in. I don't want to look like Flavor Flav, right? <laughs> so, so it, you know, so by default, actually, a lot of the top-end stuff is off my list anyway because yeah. it's all dressy. Like uh, 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 Gronfeld you were talking about, beautiful-looking watches. None of them can even look at water without, you know, getting misty, right? They all have, like, either no water resistance stated or – 30 meters, which we all know basically <laughs> means none yeah. in the watch world. Um, so I'm kind of lucky in the sense that they just by default don't appeal my radar. I'm I'm very similar. And the next thing, and as we've discussed, both of us are in this position of just saying, because it's not on our radar to buy and because of all the issues around how ownership is so central in watch collecting, you kind of just get disinterested in them. Mm. Uh, like I, like I said to you before, I'll be, I'll pay vague attention to what's happening. I get sort of more interested in the business side of it, like what mm. what those guys are doing as a business becomes more interesting to me than what they're doing as watchmakers. In many ways, that's one of the great problems I have with Rolex. Forget that you know all the other issues. I just find them more interesting to watch as a business than as a watchmaker. Yeah. Um, and then when I do go look at their watches, I find myself thinking more and more about the business than I do about their watches. Mm. And that's something that I find with all of these super high-end watches. So with that in mind, with the idea that it's hard to get for both of us to get really invested in a watch that we can't, that we don't think is ever actually going to be attainable, what does that mean in terms of a grail? You see so many people who go, my grail, you said before, was a, Astronomicon, I think. Not, it was. not anymore, but no, um, it was at one point. Yeah. You know, um, what does that mean for a Grail when you're not really interested in a watch that you don't think you could realistically own? Do you have a Grail on your list right now? No, no. Uh, I, 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 you this know, could I, be a really short no, conversation. No, <laughs> um, so, okay, so so uh, I subscribe to the idea. So I, I've got what I would say. I have short term goals when it comes to watches. Um, I'm, but I'm the worst I, i'm very spontaneous right like um 
And that often gets me in trouble because it gets me in a position where I spend more than I should and then I have to try and backfill that. Um, the problem with the grail for me is that it requires long-term commitment. You know, we were talking before we started about your chase for your Alpina grail, which I'll let you get into in a second. Um, so to me, my issue with the whole concept of a grail is I feel like for that to actually make sense in, this, in, the, in, in like the quest for the Holy Grail, you know, that kind of suggests that it's a long, arduous journey to a finite point, right? Um, you know, uh, unless you're, you know, Monty Python, in which case it's just a hilarious journey. But, um, uh, but like, in the sense that if it if your Grail was obtainable, then is it really a grail? Because once you get there, then you need to find another one, right? Because, you know, if, you, if your grail is unobtainable, then what is the journey that you're on, right? Like what is the – like if your grail is something that you really can't get, it doesn't necessarily have to be a money thing. It doesn't necessarily mean because your grail is $500,000 and, you, and you're in a you know, $80,000 salary. That's not necessarily the problem. The problem might also be that the grail was just – a really rare watch that very rarely comes up for sale and the the journey is actually tracking that down. Now that I'm actually okay with. I actually quite like that concept because you're limited by your effort, not necessarily by your wallet, right? So yeah. the effort is the chasing down, not necessarily the pay. Unfortunately, I don't really have any, I don't, I'm not a big vintage guy, so I don't really have anything in that, in that wheelhouse. Um, and I'm, my impatience usually, uh, makes me settle so if i'm looking for for example a uh oh, okay take this hublot for example uh in the store yesterday they only had it on this alligator uh this rubber-backed alligator strap i would have preferred the straight up rubber it's actually cheaper and they say yeah we can order that for you You'll probably get in a week and save yourself 600 bucks i'm like but then i don't have a watch today <laughs> and i I can't be certain that i still want it correct (laughs) correct i can't be certain if i give you money today or deposit today in a week's time i actually want the rest of it yeah so now but i mean that i mean i'm not representative of most uh watch collectors in fact i I think you probably represent about half yeah i I actually think there's about half people in fact they said to me yesterday that you're not normal i'm like no i know no okay i understand (laughs) yeah I mean, out of context, but uh, so, okay. So for me, Grail, uh, I, I don't have one, but what I do have are short-term goals. So I might say this year, I want to buy something. I don't know what that is. Like right now, I don't have a concept of what that is. But at the start of the year, I was like, this year, I want to get another big pilot. You know, that that was on my list. I need to get another big pilot. Yet another them. big pilot. Yet another big pilot because I, I love them. Every time I sell one, I, I miss it. So I need to get another one. I did. So now I don't have anything in my short-term thing. Maybe that stupid bubble Rolex, <laughs> just because it's so stupid that it's fun. Um, but see, that doesn't really count as a grail because it's not up to me. Yeah, that's where right? it gets Like from. if it's not up to you, then because I can't sell myself a Rolex. <laughs> so, so like, like, is it a grail if you literally have nothing to do? If you have no way to affect your ability to get it, then what does that term yeah, mean? Yeah, if if if. Your hunt for the grail means putting your name down and then hoping that your number yeah. comes up. It's That's a short hunt. Yeah, and <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't feel right. Yeah, look, I don't really have a grail. Weirdly, I I suppose I suppose I collect very differently to you. I'm much more methodical. I'm much more planned out. I've got a really good sense of the kinds of watches. I won't say every single watch I want to buy in the next couple of years, but I've kind of got a list that I'll be working through. But even then, I'm uncomfortable calling any of them grails. Mm. None of them require that sense of arduous searching for. The only time I've ever had a grail, I don't think I even knew I had a grail until after the search. Um, Very quickly, the story is um, when I first got into watches, one of the brands that really appealed to me was this little entry-level Swiss brand called Alpina, sister brand or brother brand to Frederick Constant. That gives you an idea of where they yeah, sit. Owned by a Citizen. Yeah. Now owned by Citizen. Yeah. You know, they, these aren't expensive watches. Brand new for a quartz thing, you're looking at just over a grand. Maybe you go up to two or 3000 bucks. So yeah. these aren't super high-end pieces. But I like the brand. I like the history. I like the story. 
and it's something you can kind of be involved in routinely and not break the bank. So I collect alpinas. Bought their Heritage Diver, loved it. In buying that, found out it's obviously a recreation of the original. Mm. And I thought to myself, I'd really like the original as well. It's a compressor style. Yeah, so it's an original compressor style case, an actual one. You can get into all the details. The the original cases were made by a brand, EPSA, that made all the original compressor cases. Um, and that triggered me off and I started looking and it began a kind of, oh, I wonder if there's any out there. And then it grew to, oh, there are, and there's some different types. And then it was, oh, but it's really hard to find a good one in good condition. So I sort of let a couple go, and then I started searching for the very specific one I was after. And then I started making some offers, but then people were off, you know, giving me more detailed photos, and it wasn't what I really wanted, so I let that one go. Next thing I know, this has been going on for five years. Mm. I have probably looked at two or three hundred different people offering these along the well, way. That's a lot. Only to find out that most of them were shit. They weren't the actual product I was after yeah. or, you know, they were just speculation. You know, they were, you know, and this is when I really began to find out just how common it is for people to advertise watches they don't even have, mm. even vintage watches. Um, until I finally found the one I wanted. Then, of course, he's asking for more than I had ready, so I had to move stuff around and I had to do things I didn't like doing, like I had to sell a couple of watches to be able to buy it. And, yeah. and I've got it. And I get to the end and I thought, without knowing it, for five years I've had a grail. Mm. I've done what I think searching out a grail is. I, I, I got to the point where I didn't even know if it was going to happen. How did you feel when you got it? I felt really completed. I felt really fulfilled. Um, you relieved? No, not really. No, I wouldn't call it relieved because I was enjoying the, what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like it was a wasn't. Maybe that's the part that's not like a grail. It's not like I'm being like attacked by carnivorous rabbits or anything. No, yeah. um, you know, you're looking at watches. How bad is that? Yeah. But no, I did feel like oh, this is done for a little while this is i've achieved something it wasn't unlike the first time you finish a marathon yeah and you go hey i i did something this yeah. is good i mean i think i think the other thing is to me it's kind of an interesting use of the english language uh, or at least the use of nouns here like a grail like i mean the grail obviously stems from the holy grail of which there was one yeah um but it's it's obviously very loosely applied in in the collecting world. Uh, to be honest, I've never heard of it being applied in any other hobby that is that that people collect stuff. Like I've never heard of. Is it? Have you, I mean, people don't refer to cars as Grail cars, not that I've ever heard of. The only the only other time I've heard it used, and uh, is in the collectible space, like when people are talking about things like. Um, yeah, baseball cards or football right. cards where, you know, I've heard people and it's listening to podcasts where people talk about buying and selling collectibles. You know, a certain person's rookie card might be considered the grail because it caps off. It's super rare and it's hard to get, blah, blah, blah. See, it's, okay, so it does make sense to me. Grails do make sense to me in the sense of if you're trying to complete a set. Yeah, and right. maybe that's why in the collectible space, baseball cards yeah, cards, that sort of thing. Yeah. It really does thought that. So, like, if, it's, if it's the last thing missing, and you, if you get it, you'll be complete. That makes sense. But with watches, yeah, I don't think it ends. Well, like, I don't think like there's no one I know, and I, and I know people have like, oh, this, this has been my grail, and it, and it might be a, an AP Royal Oak at retail or, or whatever. It might be a you know um, Rolex. They get there, they don't. Not no one I know has stopped at that point. In fact, it's interesting you said about, you know, you asked that question, did I feel relieved at mm. the end of buying this? No, I didn't. I felt almost energized. Mm. Uh, I wanted to keep going. This was this was a satisfying experience. Did you, did you replace that search hunt with something, no, I, something else? No, I didn't. Yeah. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I was done. I didn't feel like that's it. I'm done. I'm out of the hobby. I actually do think those watches exist, but they're not. The, our grails they're not the watches that we're hunting for i have a suspicion that there are a bunch of people who have probably bought a watch 
that has made them really unhappy, that they've stretched too far to buy um, and they've realized, man, I've got to get out of this. I've got it. Or they've just become so dis- disillusioned with the process. My guess is that true exit watches, the watches that really make people lose, leave the hobby, aren't the great watches. It's the terrible ones. It's the ones you wish you hadn't bought. Yeah. I mean, look, um, the, the whole concept of a grail watch is a bit of an interesting one f- for me because it has to be taken in context. Um so uh, when I first started collecting, I thought I would never be able to own a Rolex, right? Mm. Uh, I thought that was just so far out of reach. Um, and then, but now I look back and go, but I bought like a bunch of cheap watches that as the combined total would have cost a lot more than just buying the Rolex. And I would have lost a lot, and I lost a lot more money on buying those cheap watches over time than I would have just buying the Rolex. So sometimes what you're doing is you limit yourself either because of fear or because you don't, you know, you're scared to spend that much money on, on one watch, especially if you're a newbie. Um, or I think a part of it as well is you lose your sense of direction once you get there. Like if you're somebody that doesn't buy based on um, like, you know, in a methodical manner like you do, like for me, um, so let's say, for example, I sold my entire collection tomorrow and I went and bought, I don't know, um, I, I, mean, I don't even have it, in, but let's say I went and bought, let's say, let's say, for example, I went and bought a Patek Nautilus, right? And that was my only watch. And that was, you know, that's a watch that you could easily dress up, dress down. It's, it's well regarded in, in watch people circles. And also it's relatively, I guess, noticeable if, if you're not a watch person, what then? Accurate. That's what a, happens then? Yeah. I, Do I stop buying watches? There's a friend of mine who's runs another podcast. So um, yeah, Watchdog Podcast. For those of you listening, go check this one out. He's experimenting with this right now. He sold everything he's got. He's down to two watches. Um, one is he's got a Rolex Air King, yeah. and the other is. Uh, uh, Moser Endeavor, oh, yeah. something, something. Very cool. So, so very cool watches, by the way. Excellent mm. to watch collection. Well done. Um, but I think he's in that kind of position right now. Of, well, what now? Mm. And he's he's saying like um, it's kind of setting a bar for him. You know, like if they're the two and coming onto the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, once you've set that's my bar, what else do you buy and where do you go? And Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. And I, I, I think the other thing is like um, I keep toying with the idea of, okay, well, look, I don't have infinite money. In fact, I have very little money. Um, so let me start buying cheapies. Right? Let yeah. me start buying, finding more enjoyment in Seikos and Citizens and stuff. The problem is if you go to your watch box and you've got, and for me, like you've got a bunch of Seikos and Citizens next to that, you know, Rolex or an Amiga or a Hublot or a, IWC or whatever the hell else you have, it becomes really difficult really for me to pick up the cheaper watch because I feel like, I feel like, and, and this is going to sound snobbish and I don't mean it to be like that. I, gotta, I certainly don't look down on any of those brands. In fact, I still do own quite a few. But it, I feel like I've settled. Right? Like I've, I've bought these because I've settled. Now, there are exclusions to that. So, for example, like a Seiko SKX, for example, that will always stand in its own right as its own watch and, uh, you know, it's not derivative of anything else. But then you go look at like, um, you know, there's that Seiko Diver, Seiko 5 that looks a lot like a Blanc Pine 50 Fathoms, yeah. uh, which I've owned before. I don't know if you if you know that watch I'm talking about, but most, most people that know Seiko will know um, what it is. And... I feel like my only reason for buying that would be because it looks like a 50 fathom. <laughs> yes. Like I have no other reason. Like, and I'm not to say it's a bad watch. I think it's a great watch, but I have no reason to buy that watch other than the fact that it looks like a 50 fathoms. And even if I didn't know what a 50 fathoms was, buying that watch that was obviously styled after 50 fathoms, like, you know, like if someone gave me, if someone then showed me a 50,000, I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, that's nicer. Obviously it's better movement, better everything, better finish. Um, 
So, like, to me, uh, like, because watches is so, as a hobby, as we've just done so far around ownership, um, I feel like the whole grail thing is just a short-term lie that we tell ourselves because we think, everyone's, oh, once I get this, I'm done. Yeah. Hot tip, nobody's done. Yeah. Nobody's ever been done at the point when they said, if I get this, they're done. Even, even right? the people that, and like I said, I, I know a few people who are really close, but they're not done. No. They're, they're, something else will come. What what does happen is after that, world becomes really complicated mm. because I've just spent, I mean, on that, the, the guy I was talking about with the Moza, I mean, we're talking probably a $50,000, $60,000 watch. Mm. Um, is that your new benchmark? Is that is that what it's going to take? It's like getting into drugs. Is that what it's going to take for your yeah. next big hit? Yeah. Or conversely, are you going to be able to find joy in something less and how much less? Yeah. And in a sense, circling all the way back around, I think there is this relationship. That's why I suppose in a sense I'm almost – careful to make sure i mean we were talking before about window shopping and just going out and looking at watches i'm kind of i kind of make sure i don't get too interested in watches that are super high end and i don't make them grails and i don't come up with plans for how to get them because i really worry that what if i do get that one Mm. and what happens to the rest of the hobby where where do i go next Mm. um you know, maybe one could say that's perhaps a low. You know, I'm avoiding the risk, avoiding a massive payoff because of a risk I might was interested in the hobby. But no, yeah, but I don't. I don't think it w- I don't think you would because it's like it's not like you get that watch and like because let's say you get a grail or whatever that is, you get it. I mean, for you to truly enjoy getting that watch. You need to wear it, right? You need to, you know wear yeah. it. You need to enjoy it, blah blah blah. So to do that, that means you're still a watch guy, right? You're still a watch girl, still a watch person. It doesn't really matter what it is. Like it doesn't really matter if you've got one or many. The fact that you enjoy watches and you enjoy wearing a watch, enjoy looking down at your wrist and and and, and seeing what you've got on, that means you're going to be forever a watch person. A non-watch person would never have that problem. Like my yeah. partner, she wears an Apple Watch. If she doesn't have a watch on and she leaves it at home, she's like, oh, I left my watch at home. It's not a big deal to her. Um, it's not a big deal to her if that's the only thing she's ever got to tell her. To, you know, have you like, ever got in the car, got halfway to the cafe, realized you haven't put a watch on, turned around and gone home? Yeah. To, to me, it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like not having a wallet. Yeah, I know. Right? I do it. I did uh, it yesterday. You know, I really don't enjoy it. I mean, to the point where I'm thinking about having a backup watch in the car, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think the thing is like, so, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I think, I don't know of anybody and- you know, whoever's if anyone's listening, please drop a comment. I don't know of anybody that has been truly into watches that has ever really managed to exit. Yeah. I think there are people who have exited, but it's not because they got their grail. As I said before, I have a suspicion it's because something has gone wrong. Right. That is, you know, they've bought something they really didn't want. They've over overextended themselves and thought, you know, kind of like that had that bender where you woke up in the morning and you know you don't like where you are yeah Yeah. so i think that could lead people do definitely leave the hobby there are people who were watch collectors there were people who were youtubers yeah and they they're not here anymore they've sold their collections it's not because they yeah yeah i think you're right i think it's not but it's not because they bought the watch that was you know it's not like a Lord of the Rings, the ring, the one <laughs> ring to rule them all. That, that's not you don't a thing. turn into Smeagol. Yeah, yeah, that's not a thing, right? You don't just cover this one ring for the rest of your life. You know, so same thing. So same thing. With watches. You know, I mean, look, the problem is human nature says that we're, you know, it's difficult for someone to be fully content. Yes. You know, for a long, for a like, just be content consistently and and for a long period of time. You know, I've got a mate who just yesterday, hopefully, well. Still, some details to sort out, but hopefully, he's just picked up uh, an AP, uh, used AP, and now he's now he's completed his holy trinity. You know, he's got a VC, he's got an AP, he's got a Patek. So he tells me that he's done. I told him he's a liar, <laughs> but he tells me he's done. You know, I've I've completed the set, blah, blah blah, and he will be done for about three weeks. That'll be interesting. I mean, there's there's a little we should do, put a name down and see how he goes. Yeah. I'd mark the time off. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm uncomfortable with the whole idea of grails. I don't think they work particularly well. I think where we get too focused on the fact that it's hard work to pay for them as opposed to buy them. As I said, I, I think the idea that we're supposed to have this big expensive watch out at the end of our career at the end of our watch careers mm. is kind of problematic because often we probably wouldn't really want to own the watch that's apparently our grail mm. so yeah that's, yeah that's true and so it's for me i don't have one and i don't have a grail i don't particularly want a grail um i have a suspicion that if i do get one it will be after the fact there'll be some watch that i fell in love with and i spent years searching for and after i've bought it i've realized it was something special mm. but right now not only do i not not have a grail i don't want one i don't want one that's my white whale that i'm chasing down mm. i just like the idea that i'm into watches i buy watches i think the other problem and just to wrap it so i think the other issue with it is if you don't get there does that mean you failed yeah because 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 the things, I mean, that's what separates a hobby from a job, from a, a career, is that a hobby, I don't think, should have... I mean, once you start looking at a hobby as winning and losing, it becomes more like a competition, more like a, 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 like, a, uh, um, like a job, like a, like a competitive sport. So I guess if you have a grail and you never end up getting there, you know, does that mean you failed in your pursuit? And it, I look at it and I think... Well, no, because you might have enjoyed every single watch along the way and every single moment along the way, um, every single experience. And just because you did end up getting to the watch, you know, the, the grail watch at the end, I don't think that, you know, that, that, that shouldn't make you feel like you've somehow not enjoyed or not fulfilled your hobby you know yeah what I mean? well it is funny in that you know you just opened a door to a whole rabbit hole i'd like to go down one day we're not going to we're going to keep this podcast yeah, shorter yeah, we're going to keep this one short but, that, but okay. really quickly i do kind of look at watch collecting as a kind of a game um and but at the same time but is it a win or lose game or is it just no, a game you play for fun no it's a game i won't play for yeah. fun in fact i i thought about an example of um, for, until recently, I've, I've stopped playing that because I want more time. I want more of my life back. But I was playing World of Warcraft oh, until yeah. not long. Yeah. And I started... Is, you just strike me as a World of Warcraft player, <laughs> by the way. Like, <laughs> like, like that's actually like revelationary, uh, revolutionary news to me because I'm like, World of Warcraft? No. Yeah. So anyway, I was playing WoW and I started playing it in a very specific way. Yeah. Um, I started playing what's called hardcore gaming. And with hardcore gaming, right. you start every game as a newbie, brand new character. Um, you don't. There's there's mechanisms in the game where you can, if you've got lots of characters, you can like give yourself gold. You can buy heritage armor. You can boost yourself up. And of course, in WoW, if you die, you just respawn yep. in thirty seconds later. Playing hardcore means you play as a newbie. You don't give yourself every any- time you got. Start the game, and well, not every time you start the game, but when you start the game, you start with a new character. You build that character, and if that character dies, you're done. Oh, okay. You yep. start yep. a new character. Yep. You do not respawn, yep. and you don't get to keep your gold and move it on. That sounds like it's, torture, <laughs> like being flogged. But, but I really enjoyed it. It meant you had to. It, it raised the stakes a little bit. Yeah. The problem with a game like WoW, it can become. So really I was going to say, normally WoW doesn't isn't really a game that you win or lose. No, so it's so it doesn't have that win or lose yeah, factor, but it does raise the stakes, and yeah. it does and stakes make things interesting. Yeah, so it was more fun. But you're right. You get to the end, you get killed. Oh, it's really annoying, but. At the end of the day, I actually was enjoying because so I just went back and started again, yeah. started a new hard game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there it is a – maybe that's it. It's a game, but it's not a sport. Um, it's not – there's no winner at the end. There's no World Cup of Watch Collectors. Um, you can I have mean, a game. What would that even mean? Yeah. I and mean, you can enjoy it. Yeah. But – I think of it as a. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, look, I did definitely think there, there was a game element to it, but to me, it's a game. It's a perpet, It's a perpetual game that you can jump, jump in, jump off, 
at any point and uh you, you're not trying to win a particular objective yeah they're all just rolls of the dice you know they're all just blocks that you move and the and and, and, and like and the board is a circular track right and you just sort of you kind of just you know you can jump on jump off anytime but you're kind of going around you know around sort of this 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 game board and and you know every every few blocks there's a community chest or there's a <laughs> there's an opportunity card where you know you pick up a new watch or you pick up a uh, you know a, a new it could be something it could even just be a strap or it could be an accessory or something that then keep, keeps you on that game board for another block and another and until you get to the next card and i think every 10 or 20 blocks there's a big event you know there's a yeah. big something that happens that you know like like you know oh you know at this point you know you might go back four steps because you've you know sold four watches and bought another one or or you might have got a promotion and you know in, in your job in your life or you know a significant event and you've gone and splashed out on a, on a on a big piece or something celebrate that um you know i think to i can't see myself and i've tried god i've really tried i can't see myself ever not being into watches i get extremely frustrated with watches i get extremely frustrated with certain elements of the collector i get extremely frustrated with you know availability with flippers with whatever but i can't ever see myself really exiting and and, and you know i've tried leaving the groups i've tried leaving <laughs> all the chats i've tried leaving all the facebook pages and all it needs all i need is five minutes alone time where i'm not doing anything i'm like oh I wonder what's for sale. <laughs> you know, I wonder. I wonder what's new. I wonder what's what this person. You know what? You know, or, or, or I'll see somebody on Instagram. They bought something. You're like, oh, what is that? You know, I have a look at it, and, and then I'm back. I'm, yeah. I'm back on that on that on that game board. So you know, you can jump in and out. I mean, yeah, that happens in all a lot of like gaming. I mean, I'm a big gamer. I'm not wow, but I'm, I'm a big gamer. But there'll be weeks, months where I don't even I don't play a single game. Yeah. And then I'll get a game and a new game comes out or, or I'll get back into the old game like GTA or something. And then I'll be back on every day for a month or two yeah. months. And then I'll have another break. So I think you, you can't you, you can't deny yourself the stuff that you like. Yeah. you know, and, and you will probably always like those things at some level. And it just takes one little thing to spark your interest again. You know, like maybe that might be buying a new computer and you just want to see how it runs and then all of a sudden you're playing games you haven't played for a long time. Or uh, it might be, you know, you you, you've, you know, you might have cut, had your car for a while and then all of a sudden you find a really nice road and that reinvigorates your your love for driving it. For me with watches, it's like, you know, sometimes you just change a strap and go, geez, that looks really good. And you wear it and, and then that, you know. So, or it might be you walk into a shop and you see... Uh, what, uh, yesterday actually we saw this there's this new for guys listening you should really check this out it's a really cool watch there's, there's a new Orbis Terum oh yeah um, which was always one of my favourite Mont Blancs there's a new Orbis Terum uh, and it is super cool there's one that has like a bronzy globe on the Where dial was at Monarchs that okay. one it's it's a good size 40 well it says 43 but it really wears more like a 41 42 um, it's, a, it's a world time with a with a with what I really like. So instead of spinning the crown and changing the disc, it actually has a button that progresses oh, the yeah. disc and the hour hand. Super cool watch. It looks amazing. If you saw it from across the room, you'd be like, what the hell is that? Is that a Patek World Time? What is that? Super, super cool. Not cheap. <laughs> right? It's like 11 grand. Oh, yeah. Which is a lot of money to, for a Mont Blanc. Uh, but once again, if we think about value as what else can you get that looks like that? Nothing. I, yeah, and you'd be, you'd be. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything. Maybe the Amiga Aquaterra yeah. World Time, but that's fourteen, you know, thirteen, fourteen. So in the same well, bracket. Well, we've got to wrap this up, and I'm going to stop now before um, John does give me a grail and does make me buy because <laughs> I, I am, I, I really want a World Timer for my collection. Oh. <laughs> I'll show you after. He can show well, me after. Show you after. So anyway, that's our kind of rambling discussion today about collecting and what we're interested in and sort of where our limits are and what happens to our attention after we've hit those limits and the dangers of having grails and the fact that in the end of 
neither of us actually probably have one. No. Um, would love to know. Leave comments. Um, I was going to say comments below, but that's a that's a YouTube thing. Uh, if you're on Spotify, yeah. you do get the there ability. Is a, there to is comment. a comments thing, and we'll put love, up a poll as well. That yeah, says, we'd love to hear from you guys um, about this. We'd love to hear. Other things you'd like to hear us talk about. Yeah. Other things you'd like to see hear us rabbit on and randomly about. Well, on that note, actually, so this will be our last episode for this season. Uh, I mean, whatever you want to call it, this. I mean, season would be the I guess the, the standard term. Uh, so hopefully, when we're back, we're going to try amp up the technology a little bit. <laughs> maybe get some visuals. Um, maybe see how we can actually incorporate some guests, some dial-ins. Um, you know, and just maybe we can, you know, we'll just, we'll try and lift the productivity yeah. and the production value a little <laughs> yeah, this, bit. Yeah, this um, definitely has been a voyage of discovery for John and I trying yeah. to figure out what we're going to do and, and where we're going to go. And as much as it is our endeavor, we'd love to hear some ideas, things you'd like to hear us do. Yeah. Let us know in the comments and uh, we'll see you later. So anyway, wrapping it up, that's it from me, Pete. That's it from me, John. And we'll see you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.